Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Roadmap uh, from Auto Finance News. Since 1996, the nation's leading newsletter on automotive lending and leasing. I'm JJ Hornbless, and I'm pleased to welcome you. This is our weekly wrap on what's happening in auto finance for the week of July 27, 2020. Before I begin, I want to thank Auto Finance News advertisers, Alpha, DeFi Solutions, FIS, and AutoRec for their continuing support. And so thank you very much for them. Uh, to them, I am uh, joined by Joey Pizzolatto, Deputy Editor of Auto Finance News. Hi, Joey. And Amanda Harris, uh, an Associate Editor of Auto Finance News. So welcome, uh, Amanda. It is Friday, July 21, 2020. This week, was marked by the stunning GDP numbers for 2Q, just absolutely stunning. Gross domestic product shrank 9.5% in the second quarter uh, compared to the first. That's a drop uh, that equals an annualized rate of 32.9%. That is the steepest annualized decline in quarterly records in quarterly GDP. Uh, dating back to 1947, well before my time. Personal spending, which makes up about two-thirds of GDP, slumped in annual, at an annualized rate of 34.6%, uh, nearly the most on record. The GDP for the auto industry um, for the second quarter actually won't be released until the end of September but auto historically accounts for nearly 3% of US GDP. So I think it's fair to say that this number is not going to be good either. There was some positive, uh, there were some positive numbers for the week. And I think though, you know, let's start with the positives from GM Financial, although they, they, maybe they're not so positive uh, when we get into them, but let's just talk about that. So there was, it seemed to me, a, a sense of relief in the 2Q deferral numbers from GM Financial last quarter. Um, tell us a little bit about those numbers, Joey. Um, and let's start with, let's start there, Joey. Tell, tell us a little bit about the GMF numbers. Sure, you know, I mean, every week I've, I've been feeling like a broken record saying, you know, we got to wait, we got to wait and see, we got to wait and see how, how bad things are going to get. But I think with GM Financial, we're, we're kind of getting a preview on, you know, maybe the upside of all this. Um, the, the key takeaway from GM Financial's earnings, as I saw it, was, you know, they have an 80% payment rate on accounts in deferral as of July 26th. Um, to put that number into context, about 127,000 accounts have been uh, put in deferral between March 17th and June 30th, and that's about 6.7% of their managed portfolio. Um, so this is good news, I think. Co consumers are making their payments, um, even you know, in deferral or right when they come out of deferral. Um, so that's good. I think that that's a, that's a positive trajectory for the industry. Um, as you noted, um, you know, it's not fantastic 
However, because, you know, um, looking forward in the second half of the year, GM Financial does expect their net charge-offs to, to sit between, um, I want to say, two and um, yeah. two and a half percent uh, yeah. for 2020, which is in line, I think, with Ally Financial's forecast as well. Um, so potentially we could see that by the end of the year. All right. So I'm going to play the other side of this coin, Charlie. So they still have another 50 to 100 basis points of net losses coming. That is a significant number. Um, maybe not for their subprime book, but from, for their prime book. And, you know, I guess the question I'm asking, the question I had was, I mean, is an 80% payup rate really that good? Uh, the 80% payup rate implies, well, obviously, 20% are not current, 20%. Um, and, and that seems like a big number when, you know, you consider historical uh, subprime charge-off rates, right? I mean, you know, it, I mean, GMF is really a non-prime prime shop, um, generally. Prime, non-prime, so. They're both full spectrum. Right, but the, I think the majority of their their portfolio is is kind of you know up spectrum uh, a mm -hmm. bit. So is twenty percent, you know, uh, not is that really good? So I will say they did break break that that leftover twenty percent down a little further. Six percent of those people had a due date that was after that July. Um, I'm sorry, the July uh, 26 end, end date. Um, and the 14%, they said, were at least one day late on their payment. Um, so to answer your question, 14% of beings late on their payments, that's still really high. Um, I think it kind of just depends on if you want to look forward and be optimistic um, right. say 80%, that's good. Or, you know, but you know, in, in a, in and of itself, 14% is not a good, um, delinquency rate to have, especially even on, on accounts and deferral. Right. So Amanda, there were, what about the numbers out of Santander? Let's do a little compare and contrast. Um, what's your sense for, t tell us about the numbers out of Santander and you know how are they comparing against uh, other lenders? Uh, you know, you know, for numbers for the second quarter. Yeah, so so kind of similar to what we were just talking about with GM. So they also had you know payment extension programs, and they're continuing to do them, but they're doing them on more of a request basis now. Um, so of those, and they were 60-day programs, so a little bit shorter than maybe some other ones that we've been seeing. Mm -hmm. um, but of those, about 60% have at least made a payment while they're in the deferral um, program. About 20% have asked for another extension, so an additional 60 days um, when they are coming out of that initial one. And then about 20%, so a little higher, um, that have not either made a payment or have not requested another extension. Um, so they're pretty much considered inactive at this time. Um, they still have time to, you know, to ask for another extension or to mm -hmm. make a payment. So it's really not, we just kind of have to see how that will play out as far as if those accounts will become current or if they will end up being moved to the next tier delinquency and eventually to a charge off um, within the next couple of months since they are two month programs. 
Um, so it looks like that, you know, they're starting to see it climb back up, but it's, it's still not really where they probably want it to be um, since that 20% is still pretty high. I mean, was there, did you, you know, was there, were they positive about that number or is it, you know, did you get a sense for whether it was above expectation, below expectation? I mean, what was the sense that you got, Amanda? So, you know, taking with, with a grain of salt since it was on Ernie's call and they're wanting to kind of play up any kind of positive they can right now. Um, they were pretty positive about that that 60% number um, mm -hmm. that, you know, even though they're in deferrals, they are making a payment. Um, so kind of play that up a bit and, and they seem like that was a little bit above their expectation as far as, um, you know, the accounts that are, are at least starting to become more current and may come off of those deferral programs and not ask for another extension. Mm -hmm. What about the earnings at Harley that were announced this week? Um, there was a line from the CEO who said that a total rewire is required yes. at Harley. Uh, yes. this, this doesn't, anytime I think about a total rewire, I think of a really painful process. Um, what's going on at Harley? So the rewire is really the changes that they're going to see the rest of this year as they lead up to a brand new um, five-year strategic plan. They're calling the hardwire, so kind of playing on their, their terms a little bit. Um, so basically, yeah, they did not have, you know, a great quarter. Um, they haven't had a great quarter in, you know, a few, the last few um, to be expected with everything going on. But part of it is that they are seeing higher demand in certain areas and for certain SKU models and things like that for certain markets. And so they're wanting to kind of shift to focus on those higher performing and with higher potential um, markets and bike models. So they're kind of pulling back on production about 30% um, that they will reduce the models they're going to be offering. Um, as well as kind of shifting their focus to markets they feel have a lot of potential to do well in. Um, so that's really the start of it will happen this year with the rewire. And then um, we'll see the rest of how that plays out in the actual five-year plan. They didn't release a lot of specifics, so a lot of that's still kind of to come as far as the details. Uh, but that's really what the, the main drivers of it are. Did you get a sense for, for these models that are kind of, you know, doing better than others at Harley, did you get a sense for the degree to which uh, financing offers are driving those? Or was is this just more kind of model specific, not necessarily related to the, the offers behind them? Yeah, I think it's a mix. Um, you know, they, they want to, they're looking at what is, is obviously selling well, um, mm -hmm. but they did see originations decline this quarter as well. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's a mix of just trying to align all of the business um, with the realities is the term they use, the realities of the business. So with mm -hmm. demand, um, you know, with people wanting to maybe go a certain route, um, they're still pretty strong in financing Harley-Davidson motorcycles. So they still have like, kind of the leading grip on um, financing their own, you know, brand. Right. Um, yeah, so I think that's still strong. I think it's more just about wanting to kind of streamline everything and really focus in on the markets that they think will do well um, in the future. And, and part of that, of course, is, is finances and, and wanting to kind of scale back and, and get better results than they have been seeing. Sure. So let's talk about the demand side of things a little bit. Um, maybe, Joey, you can talk to 
uh, what we found in our reporting on auto finance uh, advertising spending? Sure, sure, definitely. Um, so, you, you know, this, this, this story was kind of born out of, um, you know, plain old curiosity. Um, personally, you know, I've been watching a lot of more, more TV lately since there's nothing to do, no one to see. Um, but, you know, I noticed constantly, and maybe it has to do with my browsing history, right? But Carvana commercials were cut, popping up all the time. So I was curious, you know, or, and, you know, we talked about it as a team, right? And we were curious, who's spending the most money, um, you know, to, to promote financing offers, right? You know, we've seen OEMs push incentives, but, you know, what are, what are their captives doing to kind of get that message out there even further? So what we found was Carvana outspends um, by almost double every other commercial um, finance related commercial that we, that we looked in. Um, rough figures, um, their first uh, promotion was had a $20.7 million spend. And just to put that number into context, right? Um, the next um, closest spend was from Toyota. Um, and it uh, was called the Today, Tomorrow, Tomorrow Toyota Promise, and that came in at $11.9 billion. The third largest spend was only $7.5 million. So Carvana is, is really doubling down um, on their advertising to kind of, you know, increase their market share, I, I would say. It was interesting that, uh, well, first of all, it was interesting to spend numbers. Uh, you know, they were, they were certainly healthy, uh, you know, kind of coming back to that GDP number, mm. uh, you would think that maybe that wouldn't have been the case, but uh, it was actually the opposite. I mean, obviously Carvana's pushing a, a kind of, uh, you know, visit list, visit list uh, car buying experience. Um, but most of this spending, uh, GM, Toyota, uh, as examples, buttress by offers as being kind of central to the advertising uh, pitch. I mean, would you expect, you know, to what degree are you expecting that going forward? Or do you think that, you know, if the market starts to turn, they'll go, you know, the OEMs will go back to kind of more uh, product rather than financing or oriented offers? Um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, my initial thought would be, you know, kind of once, once the market kind of turns that, you know, we'll go back to the tried and true kind of method that we're used to. But I do think, you know, um, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, we're seeing marketing um, advertising dollars spent on to push those financing offers out because that is been proven, um, you know, in May and in June to, to get people to buy cars. Um, yeah. I've wondered whether the the uh, resonance behind the Ford Bronco, um, you know, kind of re-release offering, um, has has been as it as strong as it's been because of the fact that most of the other offers that are available now are not product related. I mean, it is. I think it has been, you know, kind of through May June. I, I, May, June, July, I, I think it was really the only product-centric offering that was in the market. I mean, I may be wrong, but I mean, that, that's kind of my, my impression. And, and, you know, certainly I think the brand awareness for the Bronco has been 
uh, very strong, probably stronger than Ford anticipated. Um, although they're introducing a whole line of Broncos, so maybe they maybe they know more than I do. <laughs> really. uh, so, but that's that's an interesting. I, I mean, I, I wonder whether you know, uh, you know, I, I think I think product coming back as a cent as a cent you know a center offering will be. I, I think that that will be a sign of a of, of kind of a shift in market and maybe a shift in market demand. I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, if you even look at you know the Ford Mustang Mach E, you know the, it's there. There was a definite reason that they decided to name their all electric SUV a Mustang, and it, I think it has to do with that brand awareness. And yeah. you know, a Mustang is a household name across all of America. Sure, um, sure. I, uh, I would agree with you. Yeah. Um, all right. So next week, uh, what do you uh, what do you have in store for us, uh, Joey and Amanda? So, um, Amanda, you want to take this one, or should I? I think you're muted. Yeah, I can. Um, so we've got more earnings, you know, coming up. It's earnings Carvana. season, so earnings, earnings, and more earnings. Carvana um, earnings next week. That should be uh, interesting to see whether all that ad spend paid off for them. Exactly. Yep, definitely. Um, we've got credit acceptance court coming up. Um, and we, you know, just looking at earnings and, and really seeing how things are going to play out in the next next couple of months will be will be interesting. Okay, thanks. Next week ends is, is the tail end of our earnings season. So for anybody that's tired of reading earnings, which I don't know why you would be, but the end is near, I promise. Joey, you're not one of those people, obviously. Absol absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, as a reminder to everyone, the Auto Finance Summit will be October 20 to 22. Um, so we're very much excited for that. Autofinancesummit.com is the URL to register for the virtual event. And don't forget to rate the roadmap wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to follow Auto Finance News on Twitter and LinkedIn, and uh, certainly to visit with us at autofinancenews.net. Uh, thanks for joining us on the roadmap, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.